Hey ninjas and ninjets, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency. In this episode, I'm joined by Stacey Overton, who is one of our ninjas here at Exposure Ninja. In fact, she specializes in influencer marketing and outreach. And we're talking today in the episode about influencer marketing, how you can get it working for your business, and also how you can do things like reaching out to YouTube people, Instagram people, high-profile bloggers, and work with them to co-promote your brand. So she gives you some suggestions on how to do outreach, how to identify the most suitable and profitable influencers, how to follow up with people, how to turn those initial contacts into a long-standing relationship, and also what sort of results you should be expecting from an influencer campaign. And if you want some free help with your digital marketing, then don't forget we offer a free review and a plan. And what happens here is we'll ask you a few questions about your business. We'll then go away, have a look at your competitors, have a look at what you've already got in place, and we'll map you out a custom plan that you can follow to increase the number of leads and sales that you get through your website. It's completely free. There's no obligation to use our services. If you want to grab it, then go over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. ExposureNinja.com forward slash review fill in some details and within two to three working days you'll receive a 20 minute video custom recorded by us showing you exactly how to increase the number of leads and sales that get to your website anyway without further ado enjoy the show So we're going to be talking about influencer marketing today, and it's one of these things. I was talking to some big brands um, at the start of the month, and all of them want some sort of influencer play, right? It's just such a hot topic. It's like one of the hottest digital marketing topics at the moment. Maybe you could set the scene by giving us a bit of a definition on exactly what influencer marketing is. Just if you go onto Google right now and type in influencer marketing, you'll get close to about 15 million results. And most of these are some of the big dogs, you know, talking about it, writing blog posts. So on your first page, you've got articles from Forbes, Kissmetrics, Adweek, The Drum, and they're all talking about why influencer marketing is, you know, the next big thing in marketing and the future of marketing. So I guess we should explain a little bit about what it is, and then we can look at why maybe people and marketers are talking about it so much. So there are a ton, ton, ton of different definitions floating around about what influencer marketing actually is. The best one I found was um, on a HubSpot blog, which was from March of this year, which says influencer campaigns are designed to tap into an existing community of engaged followers via the influencers themselves. And they are specialists in their particular niche. So these influencers have already established a high level of trust and communication with their followers, which means their fans trust them when they endorse, endorse a product or a brand. So if you're a new company working with influencers in your niche, it's a great place to market your products because you get to tap into this ready-formed community of potential customers. And I think one of the hardest things to do if you're a noob in any industry is build up brand trust. So with influencers, that trust's already there. So if you can build up a good relationship with four, five, six influencers in that niche, you know, you're golden because you, you've got to work half as hard to get more of the same results because you just got to get these influencers to trust you and then their, their hundreds of fans will trust you. And, and by influencers, we mean, say, someone on Instagram or a blogger or someone who's got a large Facebook following who is known for a particular thing, right? So it could be a mummy blogger, it could be a gaming blogger, it could be 
someone on Instagram who just has a large following because whatever, right? So these are people that have a large audience of people that look up to them, right? They're like social media celebrities. Yeah, absolutely. And there's all sorts of different, you know, types of influencers out there. A lot of the time we'll talk about bloggers because it kind of comes with the territory. They might have a blog. You look at someone like Zoella, who's got a massive blog, and then they are sort of a, a byproduct of that would be that they become a social media influencer because they have all these channels that they kind of talk about so people become engaged with. So, yeah, that's what we're talking about when we talk about influencers. And I think it's really interesting how celebrity has, has changed, isn't it? When I'm at the gym, for example, there are some computers set up. And if you watch the kids on the computers, they are just watching YouTube. And they are just watching people that you and I will never have heard of. But to these kids, they're like in the most famous five people in the world. And it feels like celebrity has gone from a stage where it's been, you know, we all follow particular people to actually there being these pockets of micro celebrities, which is, I guess, what these influencers are. So why is there so much talk and so much focus around influencers at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, you know, everybody seems, the you know, the youngsters, making myself feel old now, seem to be, you know, tuned into YouTube, which that, that just wasn't, that wasn't celebrity when we were younger. So when you actually think about influencer marketing, it's not new, it's been there for ages. But if you think about the way that we viewed influencers when we were younger, it was celebrity, it was through TV ads, paper ads, you know, companies used celebrities that advertise their products because their customers liked them and trusted them and then that feeds into their brand but that's the same now is with youtubers you know they've got dedicated audience that trust them but that is now celebrity even though we wouldn't necessarily say that was celebrity that that's what it is but really what brands are trying to do now with influence marketing it's more to do with engagement rather than you know, I'm, I'm a celebrity, I'm going to show you this product and therefore that means it's good because you like me. It's more, well, I'm this YouTuber and I've got this product and I kind of think it's cool and this is how you can use it and going that one step further. So I think one of the reasons it's been talked about now, influence marketing so much online, is because of the rise of social media and those different kind of interactions and also the way that social media has adapted itself recently in terms of selling. So I read a stat in a blog recently which said something like 70% of consumers are likely to purchase an item based on social media referrals. I mean, that's huge. I think that stat is probably a couple of years old now, but it gives you an idea of the market. So if I give you an example, I'm massively into dinosaurs. So massive dino geek. Uh, so I follow all sorts of weird and wonderful accounts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And on a daily basis, I see these different accounts and users wearing, you know, dinosaur t-shirts or they've got a mug or look at these socks that I bought and you know I'm like oh yeah I want that that's really cool and actually a couple of weeks ago I went and bought this dinosaur mug that I'd seen someone else on Instagram with so it works and it's I guess it's just the new form of celebrity advertising it's just we don't view it as advertising which in itself is quite remarkable yeah, I think there's a couple of really interesting things that you said there. The first was the relationship that these influencers have with the product is slightly different to the relationship that maybe celebrities previously would have had. So, you know, David Beckham and Pepsi, it was a picture of David Beckham on a Pepsi poster and it was clearly completely staged. It was totally static, whereas now an influencer relationship might be 
much more engaging, mightn't it? It would be maybe some videos of people using something, talking about what they appreciate about it, maybe even running a contest with their audience with it. So it's much more that the product is baked into their life and into the sort of content that we're used to seeing them post on social media anyway, rather than here's a celebrity, we're just going to slap on this product and we're just going to show them together. And we're going to hope that that taps into that core part of your brain, which says, I admire this person and this person has this product. So therefore I admire the product. There's a much tighter integration there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's like you say, it's not just like, you know, let's, let's grab some random footballer and make him wear this t-shirt and then, oh, everyone's going to want to wear that t-shirt because he's wearing it. It's more, you know, we talk about bloggers because they are very much part of the influencer market. You know, a lot of bloggers have, you know, mummy bloggers, they've got kids or whatever. And, and so brands and companies are looking to give them stuff that's going to make their life easier, you know? So then they're going to, it's not forced. They're going to be using that product in their everyday life. So it's not just out, it's not like out of the blue, we've just sent them, I don't know, something really irrelevant and they've just stuck it on their Instagram feed. You know, people are going to be put off by that because it's not, it's not natural. It doesn't look right. So a lot of the influence marketing you stuff, you, you don't really pick up on it because it's just, you know, like I said, it's it's somebody that I follow. It's into dinosaurs, and they're wearing a dinosaur T-shirt. You know that it fits. It's not forced, and you just kind of go, "Oh yeah, I'm into dinosaurs too. I like that T-shirt. I think I'll go buy that." Yeah, it's it's much more similar to a personal recommendation or seeing your friends wear. Yeah, I suppose for a company that's super appealing because if you're selling dinosaur T-shirts, maybe five years ago your only option would have been to bid on AdWords for dinosaur T-shirts, which is you know, you're going to get some traffic from that. But if you can find an influencer who has who is known for their um, for their interest in dinosaurs, and they have an audience of people who are into them because they like dinosaurs, you've got this kind of really hot, super engaged micro niche that's ready for that kind of thing. And it, it feels a lot more natural. And therefore, it's going to be more effective, right? What what would a you know, obviously, the, the dinosaur example we, we've talked through, but what does a typical influencer campaign actually look like from the brand's perspective? I think this is kind of an oxymoron because there isn't really a typical look or feel for any influencer marketing campaign. Every single campaign is going to be different. And that's for a number of reasons. It would depend on the platform you're using. So if you're targeting social media, are you targeting bloggers? Are you targeting real life events? You know, whatever. It will depend on the brand itself. So if you're whatever your brand or company is it will affect what the campaign looks like so if you're a bit fun and quirky your campaign is going to be a bit fun and quirky and it's also affected by the products or services themselves so there's a blog post on kissmetrics uh, written by someone called Kristen matthews a few years ago now about 2013 i think it was but she says it quite well in that the term influencer is it's a hard one to catch because no one knows for certain what it looks like and that's where the biggest challenge lies for marketers especially for these kinds of campaigns because influencers are like changelings it's got a different image for every brand and often for every campaign of a brand so even if you are a fun and quirky brand and you run a campaign for you know whatever it may be your next campaign may be completely different because your next product's different to the one that you just did a campaign on so i guess if we want to pin it down for the purpose of this podcast we're going to be talking about social media influence marketing as that's probably the most prevalent type of campaign that that we see and the most likely type of campaign that listeners will have come into contact with. Uh, and it's much like we've already talked about, you know, everybody's on social media and they follow 
brands and companies and people and influencers that they have things in common with. And a lot of the time, these kind of campaigns involve influencers featuring products on their social media accounts or on their blogs, much like we've said before. So, you know, you've got a mummy blogger that's got a toddler and they're weaning the toddler. And so a brand approaches them and says, hey, we've got this bowl and spoon that are really great for weaning. And they say, okay, great. So they send them a product and then the blogger tests it out with their kid and posts pictures and then they do a review. And that's how they're featured on that person's account. So... Uh, someone who's listening who has a product which their audience is on social media and they're engaged and they're importantly they're engaged about the topic or you know about the subject how do they go about identifying who might be a good influencer to work with a few different ways that we go about doing the research I personally use Twitter. I think that's a very good one from a PR perspective. Uh, there's a couple of different hashtags that you can use to find people within your niche. But obviously, if you're a business with a certain niche, you'll probably know the hashtags and things within that niche that work. We have got some vaping customers that they've got, you know, all sorts of different hashtags that all the vapors use on Twitter. So you can tap into that to hunt out influencers within your niche. Uh, there's also a couple of different platforms and stuff that you can use to find influencers. Buzzsumo, I think we've talked about before in podcasts, they have an influencer search option. So you can go on there and you can, it's got a filter on the side. So you can filter it by, I want to search Twitter influencers. You can filter it by, I just want to find bloggers. And you just type in your keywords. So pop that in there and it'll give you, you know, a list of influencers, suggested influencers that you can contact. There's also a platform called Scrunch, which is completely dedicated to influencer marketing. Similar sort of thing. You go in there, stick in your filters, put in your keywords, and it will give you a load of suggestions of people within your niche to try and contact. Maybe you could take us through uh, through, through an example of, of how you kind of got this set up with someone. Okay, so we recently did a campaign with a small company that sells uh, dog training products, uh, leads, collars, harnesses, that kind of thing for helping train dogs. A uh, fantastic company. Great brand, well-established, been around for quite a few years. We basically started out looking for bloggers with dogs or dogs that had, you know, their own Instagram accounts. You know, you see the ones on there that it's like the pet posting, you know, the whatever. So first thing we did was just set out one tweet on Twitter, used the hashtag bloggers wanted and PR request. Is there any lovely bloggers with dogs? Do you fancy some work? We've got a new client, leads and collars, let me know. And we had, you know, near 30 responses to that one tweet of bloggers, you know, and it was great because they just sent me pictures of their dogs, which was great for me because I just spent about two days looking at cute pictures of dogs on Twitter, just saying, you know, yeah, they were really interested, send me details. And obviously you can't just take everybody because it needs to be beneficial for your brand. So probably when you do things like that, I'd say 50% of the responses you might be able to use. But that's where you need to think about the criteria that you want when you're using, you know, the when you're going through these campaigns. So this was a relatively small campaign for us. But we said, OK, we wanted influencers that had a minimum of 5000 followers on Twitter. And it wasn't necessarily they had their own blog, but depending on what we were going to offer them. So if we wanted them to do a review, we wanted them to have a blog because we wanted somewhere for them to post a review. If they had you know an instagram account for their dog and basically where they had most of their followers on instagram because they post all these sweet pictures of their dog 
great, we don't need them to do a review. We're going to send them some products and they're going to take some awesome pictures of the product with their dog and they're going to post it on Instagram and 20,000 people are going to see that and we're going to get a brand mention and a link and people are going to go and check out the stuff. So you need to be clear before you begin what you're going to offer and how that's going to differ between influencers. One of the benefits of this is that you get visibility when these bloggers or influencers are talking about you. Obviously, your brand is being seen by people. So if you're looking to build up your social channels and get some more engagement, I'm guessing this is a kind of secondary benefit of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. So probably the three main benefits of influence marketing are visibility, engagement and trust. So we already talked about the importance of trust, especially for new or smaller brands. And that's probably one of the biggest benefits of an influencer marketing campaign, because as I said, you can tap in straight away to this preformed market of consumers that already trust what this influencer is saying. So you get on board with them and they're going to trust your brand. The other two big ones are visibility and engagement. So as you said, having engagement online with your brand is really important. Say you're a new new company, but you're not new to social media. Uh, you're pretty savvy. You know how to set up an account, you know how to use it. But when anybody first start out, you're going to be relatively unknown. You're not going to have many followers. So when you're posting things at first, no one's really going to see it. Going back to this example of the, the dog brand that we worked with, they were a well-established company. They've been around for a long time and they had all the social media accounts that had been around for a couple of years. They just weren't getting that engagement because they didn't have enough followers. The way that we approached the influencers we said okay so these guys have got like 900 followers whatever we want to target influencers that have a minimum of 5,000 followers because that's you know five times the amount of coverage that these guys are going to get on their own as soon as we had these influencers on board the visibility engagement of this brand it went through the roof really really quickly and there's a lot of different factors involved in that obviously this is a brand where you've got something like dogs and social media that go really well together. As I said, one of the first things that the influencers started to do was send me pictures of their dogs. So you're kind of drawn in straight away because you're like, oh, that dog's really cute. And it'd be the reason why a lot of these people follow these influencer accounts because they go, that's a cute dog. I want to see that on my feed. So it's much like cats on YouTube. So, you know, people spend hours and hours and hours watching cat videos on YouTube because it makes them feel good. This is one of the great things of how it worked with this particular company because it tapped into this engaged community of people that wanted to see cute pictures of dogs. And we've got gone and sent them a product to put on their cute dog, you know, and this, this person that these followers follow is all of a sudden going, oh, yeah, I'm doing my really cute dog in this really cute new collar. Go and check these guys out. They're really amazing. So what's the first thing they go and do is they go and check out this amazing new brand that this person they trust has said go check them out so they do there, there are obviously going to be businesses that influencer marketing suits particularly well and others that it doesn't suit so well how do people know if their company would be a good fit for this so we talked about this in the blogger outreach podcast we did way back in november and it's much the same influencer marketing's best suited to companies or brands that have got physical products or services to sell and also products that people are going to get excited about. So e-commerce brands do really well with influencer marketing or, you know, hotels, B&Bs, experience type companies. So if you've got an activity or an event that they want to try and get people along to, they work really well. 
basically if you've got something that you can send out or something that you can bring bloggers to or influencers to to experience to then document they're the kind of things that are going to really work well for this kind of marketing okay so we've got a business that we think is going to work well based on that when we're choosing the influencers to outreach are we purely looking at how big their following is or are there other criteria that you're using and not necessarily depending on who you are will depend on the type of influencers that you want to target so I mean, even some of the massive brands use influencer marketing. So people like L'Oreal have used influencers to do their marketing. And obviously, they're a massive brand. So they're going to be looking for, you know, some of the bigger influencers out there with, you know, massive, you're talking thousands of followers online, you know, huge blogs, tons of traffic. But if you're a smaller business, you're not necessarily going to want to target those types of people but also probably not going to be able to afford to do that so depending on what your goal is will influence who you're going to target so sometimes working with micro influencers can be more beneficial even for some of the bigger businesses and companies working with micro influence micro influencers can be beneficial and when we talk about micro influencers we're talking about people that maybe they have a blog but it's it's maybe not on its own domain or it's relatively new, it's not massive or it's just in a really unusual niche. So you're not going to, you know, it's not beauty, for example, which is a massive, if you're talking about blogging and influencers, there are tons and tons of beauty and fashion influencers out there. So that niche in itself is huge and you're not going to have many, well, there are many micro-influencers, but I just mean, if you've got a smaller niche, you're not going to have so many big guns in there. So it's all going to depend on your company, what you want to achieve. Um, but with micro influencers particularly, these guys might only have a following of a couple of hundred people or a few thousand people. But when you think about how engaged those audiences are, they're probably more engaged than some of the bigger ones. Because actually, when you look into the demographic of followers, when you've got a micro-influencer, their follower base is probably made up mostly of friends and family. And actually, think about how you make buying decisions. If my mum's gone out and bought a TV and she says, well, I bought this TV and, and um, it's got X, Y, Z on it. And I know you guys looking for a telly. This one's really good. You should go and check it out. You're more likely to listen to your mum than you are to, to listen to, I don't know, Betty Jones influencer on tellies. Obviously, it still has an effect, but with the micro influencers, like I said, it's their audience is going to be a lot closer to them because they're smaller. And it feels like the smaller influencers, these micro influencers, the because they have a smaller audience, it it feels like that that audience. For example, we we did the podcast recently with Alison May from Brokansi Home and. While she doesn't have a massive audience, the reason that we got her on to the show is her audience is so hyper-responsive. They are just so engaged. And it's because it's a smaller community, right? If, if you're one of 10 million people who's following whoever, a Kardashian or something, you feel further from them, don't you? Whereas if you're one of a thousand and, you know, that, that person might recognize your name and they might have replied to you in the past, actually you have a much deeper connection with them. So actually they're more influential despite the fact that they're maybe not as famous. It's a much, much kind of closer relationship. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's that trade-off, like we said before, with, with the influence marketing being about celebrity. You know, yes, it's celebrity now, but it's it's a tangible celebrity. And I think that's why a lot of people like YouTube and, and Twitter, you know, the potential is there to interact with these people. So even with the biggest celebrities, you can still tweet Stephen Fry. And I'm not saying he'll respond to you, but he might do. But like you say, if, if you're in a niche, you know, as marketing geeks, we're a pretty good niche in itself. And on Twitter, you know, we have people that we idolize as celebrities that if you spoke to your average Joe, wouldn't know who on earth they were. But if we got tweeted back from, you know, Neil Patel or whatever else, you might go, oh my God, Neil Patel tweeted me back. That's amazing. And actually somebody outside of marketing wouldn't know who on earth that was. So that's the kind of thing with influencers within niches. You know, you might go to, I don't know, you go to Crufts or something never been but say you know a breeder of a certain dog and they're going to be at crufts and you know you tweet them or something and they tweet you back you're going to be really excited about that and if you've got a product or a brand and and you know that this breeder is you know really famous and this is this is your target for your particular product and you can you can get them on board you know that's massive for your brand within your niche Somebody outside of that niche won't know who on earth that is, but that doesn't matter because it's not relevant to them. Yeah, I guess it's also it's it's great news because these micro influencers, you know, the the numbers vary, but Kylie Jenner it seems to cost around three hundred k to get her to do some kind of influencer promotion. You're paying for so many people in that audience that just aren't qualified; they're not relevant buyers. So there's so much wastage there. It's almost like running, you know, big display ads in a in a newspaper where you're just it's like a massive shotgun approach. So here you're just focusing very specifically on a very qualified and hyper responsive audience about a particular topic. So say that someone's drawn up a list of, of influencers that they'd like to work with. How do they begin approaching these guys? best bit of advice that I can give to any brands that are looking to do this themselves is just be genuine you know don't don't go online and find some kind of generic template and send it out because that's not going to get you anywhere you just need to approach people with a bit of honesty um, and so like I said I've used Twitter before if we're doing some outreach and you know we've found some you know we've done our initial research we've got a list of say 20 influencers and we say right we want to target you know put them in order of importance so we might say right these are the top 20 but actually these 10 here are the most likely to respond so they've got certain breed of dog and we've got this item that's for that breed of dog so we're going to target these 10 for that to begin with send them a tweet or send them an email introduce yourself let let them know who you are you know, don't just send them a generic, we're doing some outreach, do you want to work with us? You know, there's all sorts of different pitching templates out there that just won't get you anywhere. And a lot of the time, even micro-influencers will be having tons and tons of emails every single day. Your average person gets something like 80 emails a day, and that's just your average person. You talk about people that sign up for newsletters and stuff when they go on websites. So people are bombarded with emails. We need something that's going to stand out. And just being a bit genuine with what you're doing in your email will make you stand out, introduce yourself, introduce your business, let them know this is what we're looking to do, this is what we'd like to offer you, you know, let us know what you think. And leave it open. You don't have to go into details of this is this is our budget, this this is 
our time frame. You don't need to go into the finer details. Just give them an introduction of who you are, what you intend to do, and leave it open. And I'd say the return rate that I get on pitches like that is about 85%. Even if it's people saying, I'm not interested in this, at least you've got a response from somebody that's gone, well, that's nice. That feels quite personal. At least I'm going to respond to them and say, no, thank you, rather than you sending out 10 pitches, you're getting nothing. Yeah. And, and it's okay if you're new to this. It's okay to, you know, be a little bit naive, isn't it? They're, they're just the person. You're just the person. Just be natural. There's no need to be weird or resort to some strange template thing which comes across as a template and just gets deleted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it is just think about what you do when you get effectively spam in your inbox. If, if somebody sends you something, you know, and it's, hey, we really like your blog and you know it's nothing personal it's hey it's no name we like your blog they didn't say what your blog was we want to work with you well that's nice what do you want to do you know you you just delete that because you think oh that's just been sent out from an automated system and that's just human nature so think about how you would respond to something and if you would delete it don't send it out cool so we're we're reaching out to people we're maybe telling them something about their blog or their profile that we like, we're letting them know that we've been following them from a while, for a while. What should a brand or a company be looking to offer these guys? Because we're asking for them to feature us. We need to give them something in return. So how do we approach that? Um, and, and again, this comes down to what you want to achieve at the end of it. So depending on who you're targeting will depend on what, what you need to be prepared to offer them. So a lot of the time, some of the smaller influence marketing campaigns will just be that you're offering the product for them to keep in return for, you know, a feature on social media. If you're going down the lines of you want them to, you know, spend time on reviewing it and taking lots of pictures and writing up a blog post, you're probably getting into the realms of you need to offer them a little bit of compensation for this. It doesn't have to be huge. This is where, again, you just need to be open and honest. This is what my budget is. You know, most bloggers and influencers are pretty open to having a discussion about budgets they'll have an idea of what they will work for some of them will work for the product because it's a product they genuinely like and will use so for example going back to the dog leads again you know you're not just going to get sent a dog lead and use it once and then stick it in the drawer you know likelihood is you're going to need to walk that dog every day so you're going to use the lead every day so if it's a decent product and the the guys that you're pitching to are genuinely interested in that product, they're going to say, well, that's great because I've just saved myself 20 quid on going out and buying a new lead, you know, and they're going to use that product every day. So someone like that may well do that for the product, for the item. But if you've got something that's, I don't know, maybe smaller or not perceived to be as valuable, then you may get into the realms of having to offer compensation. But again, that doesn't have to be a lot. Um, You just need to set out in your mind what your budget is and take into account that you're going to be happy sending out products as well so that's going to cost you money and shipping but take all that into account before you go out there and start pitching this stuff and then you know just have an open honest conversation if they're looking for something that's completely out of your range then you know there's no hard feelings you just have to move on to somebody that's you know in your range and and that's perfectly fine yeah and and would you in the pitch email would you say here's what i'm looking for so we're looking for somebody to run a review or we'd love to run a giveaway with you and we're willing to offer x or would you say here's some ideas that we have 
you know open to discussion are you just are you just trying to start the conversation there or in the pitch are you actually trying to offer them a price again it depends i think i mean a lot of the times when we're doing outreach we have a set of criteria of what we're willing to offer so we might with the with the campaign that we did recently we had five or six different options of what the influencers could do so it might have been a review on the blog it might have been a review and a giveaway on the blog it might have been just a social media brand mention or you know so when we did the pitch we sent it out and said you know hi this is who we are this is what we're looking to do these are the types of things that we're looking for let me know what you'd be interested in and actually that was quite good because it meant that they could kind of look at those options and say well actually yeah I'd, I'd be interested in doing that option and then they'd come back and say yeah I'd be interested in doing this and I'll do that for whatever or they'd just say yep yeah, I'd do that for you send me this product and you're away the point is it, it kind of that tends to work very well because it puts the onus back on them to say this is what my general criteria is for this kind of work and that's probably what you'll come up against a lot with influencer market influencers themselves when you're doing this kind of marketing is that every single one will be different and actually it's still a relatively new kind of marketing so a lot of the times they're winging it too they don't necessarily know what they're going to charge until they find out a bit more about the business we had a conversation with one influencer that was a an Instagrammer who basically had set up an Instagram for her dog, lovely little spaniel, and um, fantastic Instagram, something like 20,000 followers on there. But she was very savvy in that she'd worked with some really big companies, which she knew, right, these are a big company, they've got a big budget. I know what my criteria is for working with big companies. But when we approached her from this smaller company, you know, she didn't say, I'm going to charge you £300 for two pictures on Instagram, because she knew we were a small business. So she said, okay, great, well, I like to tailor what I do depending on the companies that I'm working with and this, you know, and this is what I'll offer you. And we managed to secure a really good deal from that. So I think, again, it's remembering that you're not talking to a robot. It's you're still talking to a person. Um, and I think something that the British people are tend to be a bit reluctant to do is haggle. But that's definitely something you need to get used to if you're going to do this kind of thing is haggling on price. And, uh, and being prepared to have those awkward conversations about money, you know, but ultimately you can afford what you can afford. And if you can't come to an agreement, then you just need to move on. Let's say that we've, we've started reaching out to people and we're getting some response. Let's move on to talk about results and, and kind of managing the campaign. So firstly, how big should we be looking to go here? Are we going to expect to be, you know, products are flying out of the door when we get our first influencer? feature or how many how many influencers will we be looking to attract at one time again this all depends on your budget it depends on how much time you've got to be putting into this campaign this is all something you need to think about again before you start coming back to this example that we've recently done we had i think it was 15 hours for a month with a relatively small monetary budget but something like 20 products a month that we could send out. So we knew right from the off that maybe to set up one opportunity with one influencer could take anywhere between two and four hours, depending on how much back and forth you need to do with negotiating. So when you kind of extrapolate that for 15 hours, you're looking at maybe three to four individual 
opportunities set up there in that in that time but that will depend on you know who you've got doing the campaign if you're new it's going to take you longer because if you're new to anything it takes you longer but the longer you do it the quicker you'll become and again with so with the size i think you're better off starting small and building up to it as you become more comfortable and obviously as as these campaigns begin they'll start to build up momentum so the first couple of opportunities that we set up for this campaign that we did were reviews and giveaways and as soon as you throw in the giveaway kind of scenario in, into the mix that sort of massively explodes your visibility on these kind of campaigns because a lot of bloggers and influencers use widgets online where you enter a giveaway by, you know, you have to tweet about something. So we would always say, if you're going to do a giveaway, please include the brand's handle in any tweet or any kind of post that you use as a requirement for an entry. So for every person that enters that giveaway, a tweet goes out that has the brand mentioned in it. So you start small. But these campaigns will get bigger as you go through. And obviously, then you have different opportunities that are becoming live and they're kind of overlapping. So, you know, your first one starts and the review goes up and then actually you sent out something else to another blogger a week later and then that goes up. So these campaigns have potential to become very large. But I think if you look at it from that from the beginning, it can seem very overwhelming. So I think you just need to be very clear from the start. What's your budget? How many products can you send out? How many hours have you got available? You know, how many people have you got available on this thing? Is it just you? Have you got a marketing team? Have you got a PR that's going to do it for you? So it's just having all that set out to begin with and then just keeping coming back to it and seeing what the results are from each individual opportunity. You need to try and track you know, what's happening. If you've sent something out to a blogger or an influencer and you know, two weeks later... You come back to it and it's just kind of, oh, they've posted a review and nothing else has really happened. And maybe you need to look at that and say, okay, reviews aren't working. What, what should we pursue some of the other opportunities instead? And you mentioned there, so coming back to it and saying, okay, it's, it's not working. How should we be tracking the results of, of these sorts of influencer campaigns? So ROI for influencer marketing campaigns is quite difficult but it depends what you want to measure. So traditionally, marketers want to measure sales. So the point of marketing something, for ad advertising something, is you want to sell it. But with influence marketing, normally the target is visibility and engagement. So especially on social media, there's a platform, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, called Linkia, which is dedicated to uh, influencers. And they did a survey last year called the State of Influencer Marketing. The respondents to that survey said that influencer marketing's top benefits were creating authentic content about their brand, because 87% of respondents said that was the most important thing, and driving engagement around their brand, which was about 77%. So really, when we're looking at influencer marketing campaigns, especially on social media, we're looking at how much engagement have we got from this campaign and have we created good content from this campaign so once again going back to our example we had some fantastic content generated from these campaigns some fantastic photos and imagery which the influencers then gave permission for the brand to use on their website 
which was fantastic and to use on their own social media and Instagram. So, and this is, you know, good, decent photography and genuinely good content talking about what the, who the brand are, this, you know, it might be a review, but they might also just be talking about history of the brand, you know, the, the type of product, is it durable, really putting it through its paces. And this is good content that the brand can then go on and share themselves. And in terms of engagement, as I said before, as soon as you throw a giveaway into the mix, the brand mentions just go through the roof. And as soon as you've got decent content, decent imagery, people are then going to share that as well. So what we did for that campaign was as soon as anything went live, we started up a spreadsheet and we tracked where we were at on social media in terms of followers, likes, that kind of thing. And then once we got to the end of the campaign, we recorded those stats again. We also used, used BuzzSumo, which um, you can track shares and engagement of particular posts online. So you stick in the URL of the blog review, for example, and you can say ha see how many times that was shared across social media. You can see how many people commented on it. You can also get information from the bloggers themselves if they've done reviews on a particular website. You can ask them how much traffic that page has had. But also you can use social media analytics and especially UTM codes and things from uh, Google Analytics. If you are asking influencers to use a particular link to your website, you know, put a UTM code on the end of there, which means that you can track traffic coming through that particular link. So every, if somebody's reading a review they've done, for example, and they click on that link and come through to your website, you can track that traffic specifically. It's, it's a really good point you make about the about getting extra content as well. This is something that people don't really focus on when they're thinking about influencer campaigns, isn't it? But if you're getting amazing photos and quite often these bloggers and, and influencers, they're really good at photography. That's like why they're influencers. So in this case, they're stunning product photos, which were I'm sure the brand wouldn't mind, but far better than the brand's existing photos. So they're obviously getting that benefit. But then also if somebody's searching for, you know, let's say they're going on Google and they're looking for reviews of your product or your company, well, these highly influential posts on these influential sites that have massive engagement have actually got a really good chance of ranking for these phrases. So it's a good way of getting some third party um, proof that, that your business is, is good from someone who, you know, for, for the person who's making that search, this person, this influencer could be a real influencer for them. So this is, it's, it's something that lasts forever, isn't it? There is an, there's an immediate impact of the, the engagement and the likes, but there's also a, a residual long-term impact of just having this, po these positive mentions online in influential places forever. Yeah, absolutely. You think about um, before you buy something, a lot of us will go online and we'll stick into a search engine, a certain product, and we'll look for reviews or, you know, any kind of feedback that people have given on that product before we go and buy it. So as soon as you've got this stuff out there, you know, it doesn't just disappear. It's going to be there. So the, the more of this stuff that you can build up over time, obviously, the better it is from a consumer perspective. OK, so once we've got our influence campaign out there and we're being featured, are there any other ways that brands could use these new connections that they've made with influencers to level up? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just, it's almost like networking. Once you've made a connection with somebody for one thing, that 
you know, that kind of leaves the door open to revisit it for something else. So I had a connection made with somebody. They did a feature on their blog about women in business. And we were then looking for podcast guests and she has her own business. And because I'd previously worked with her, I went back and said, hey, we're doing this, which I think is suitable for you. You know, do you fancy coming online? And she's going to come on the podcast in a few weeks. So the same goes for influencer marketing. You've gone and worked with an influencer and they've done you a lovely review or they've featured you on social media. And for example, say they took some brilliant pictures of your products and you're looking at your website thinking, hmm, I could really do with having some better product photos on this website. I want it all to look the same. You know, it's all a bit mishmash at the moment. There's no reason why you couldn't revisit one of these old connections and say, especially if they're a photographer or they have uh, something else within their business that says, you know, they'll provide these types of images. There's no reason you can't revisit it for a different reason. Uh, and the same with if you're doing a new campaign, as soon as you've got these connections, again, there's no reason why you can't revisit these people for campaigns in the future. And also, if you've built up good relationships, you know, these guys have got networks blogger networks, influencer networks, all, and they'll know people within their own niche. So if you've had a successful campaign with five or six influencers, before you not waste time, but you know, use what you know, go back to these people and say, hey, we're thinking about running another campaign in three to four months time. This is what it is. Would you be interested? And also, do you know anybody else that would be interested? And they're going to do that research for you. And then you know, if you've had a good experience and you've built up this lovely relationship with them, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to send you contacts, which just makes your life easier. This is true. So it's just building your network in, in real life, but through the internet, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've run a lot of uh, influencer campaigns and, and blogger outreach and contests, Stacey. Have you got any super top secret ninja tips for making sure that campaigns are a success? <laughs> There's not really any secrets. It's just to be yourself, be genuine. I think one of the reasons I have such a good response rate on this kind of thing is because I'm just me about it. I'm not fake or false with it, or it's not generic. Whenever I go to contact somebody, I don't just find them online and just send them a generic pitch. I'll go and look at their blog or I'll go and look at their business or their Twitter feed or whatever it is and find something relevant to do with what I'm going to pitch them and use that in my pitch. So if it's a blogger and I'm working with somebody that sells, I don't know, kids clothes and they've got two kids, I'll go on their blog and learn their kids' names or go on the blog and learn what it is they refer to their kids to on their blog. So when I pitch them, I can say, oh, hey, you know, I wondered if you and the kids' names would be interested in reviewing this product. You know, and it's the same with anybody that we're looking for to come on, to come on the podcast, for example. You don't just send out 100 pitches to just anybody within marketing and say hey we've got this podcast come on the podcast it's about you know making that extra effort to, to find them out and tweet them directly and you know find out what it is specifically that they're interested in or that they are particularly knowledgeable about and just saying hey we'd love for you to come on and talk about this particular this one particular thing because you know we think that's that's really cool and it's really important and we'd love to talk to you about that so really it's just about being personable and just spending that little bit of extra time to get to know them before before you pitch them and i think that that really helps well said well said 
And finally, where should people go if they're interested in potentially working with Exposure Ninja or just getting some free advice on how they might want to work with influencers for their marketing? Yeah, drop on to the Exposure Ninja website, um, the forward slash review, I think it is, and pop details in there and uh, we'll get in touch and give you some advice, you know, review your website, uh, review your marketing. Uh, alternative, you can drop, drop me a, a tweet Stacey Overton PR, having to help with any influencer questions you've got on there. Yeah, that's where you can find us. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Stacey, and thank you everyone for tuning in.